Let's open to Isaiah chapter 54. Elaine made it through 53. I'll come back to 53 on Sunday. 53 really sets the setting for 54, 55, and 56, which deals primarily with the restoration, the millennium. And once you get to 57, it sort of switches gears, has a different thought. So my goal tonight is to get through 54, 55, and 56. So as we look at 54, um, it's a logical chapter that will follow 53 because primarily it's the song that accompanies salvation, which was purchased. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. One of the most profound chapters in the scriptures that deal with the Messiah. It lays the foundation for the Messiah's promise of Israel's restoration. So what we have in this chapter are promises, some that have not yet been fulfilled. So let's start with the first three verses that deal with the land. It says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born, explanation point, and break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not travailed with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Then he says, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out like the curtains of your inhabitants. Do not spare, lengthen your cords, and stretch your stakes, uh, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. So the first three verses are talking about the millennial reign, where their descendants will inherit the nations, plural, not just one, And so actually we're talking about the promise that God gave to Israel. See, that promise was given in Joshua 1.4. And in other places, Israel never ever at their best, even under Solomon and under David, they accomplished about 30,000 square miles. That was at their pinnacle. That was when they were doing their best. What the Lord had promised them was everything from the Nile all the way up to the Euphrates, which is 300,000 miles. So what we're referring to here is the enlarging of the land and its inhabitants. One of the things that it mentions is just how vast it's going to be. And uh, with that being said, I'm going to do a a sidetrack right here. And something that's going to happen tomorrow that's going to deal with the size and the land of Israel. So take out your news bites. I'm not going to read the whole article, but I think the timing of this is very, very interesting because tomorrow is April 21st. And in our news bites tonight, and these go all over the world, and the timing of this, I think, is very, very interesting. And I'm just going to read down to a couple paragraphs before the bottom. The idea is... Palestinian Authority President Ahmoud Abbas having hatched a plan. Now tomorrow he's going to be in New York City, April 21st through the 23rd, to be present for a high-level signing ceremony on climate change agreement. Always a good excuse to have a world meeting, make under climate control. And while he's there, he has another highly charged document that he plans to pull out of his pocket and bring forward to the UN Security Council for their consideration and for a vote. What is this document? It is a UN Security Council draft resolution on Israeli settlements. Now, whenever we go to Israel, 
just outside of uh, Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. There's a lot of building going on there. Also in what we would call uh, Samaria. And Bibi continues just to build. But this draft, the text of this draft dated 3.30.16, so that's just a couple weeks ago, is now published online. Anybody can go there and read it. And the text of the resolution has now been made public. The draft resolution declares the following. Paragraph 2. It reiterates its demand that Israel, the occupying power, (laughs) immediately and completely cease all settlement activities in the occupied Palestinian territory, including East Jerusalem, where they're building, um, whenever we're there. And uh, it will be fully respected and all its legal obligations in this regard. Paragraph 5, the UN draft also states this. It calls on all parties in the interest of peace and security, of course, to exert collective efforts to launch credible negotiations on a final status issue in the Middle East peace process according to its agreement terms of reference and within the time frame specified by the Quartet of Middle East Peacemakers in its statement dated September 21, 2010. The last paragraph I'll read is this. What does the statement of September 21, 2010 say? That all final status terms for Palestinian land and boundaries would be settled within one year. So, if the Israeli settlement resolution gets voted on and passed through the UN Security Council during Passover 2016, which happens to be right during the time we're having our pastor's conference here, that would set a timeline out for Passover, April 2017, for the final status of land and define the borders of a Palestinian state. Now, I'm just going to leave it there. I encourage you to go home and read the rest of this article because how timely it is. How this ties into what we just read. In the millennium, all 300,000 acres of land that was promised is going to be restored. That's what verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah chapter 54 is stating. But they never took it. And there's all kinds of applications here, I think, spiritually opportunities where the Lord maybe wanted to give us a victory here, do something, and we just didn't follow through, even though it could have been there for us. But here, from a biblical perspective, what we clearly know is that land has been given to the Jewish people by none other than the Lord himself. Good place for an amen. It's, the, it's, it's not to be trifled with. And what history, I'll, I'll point this out a little bit later, concerning the land, everybody who's ever tried to come against them, and I'm getting ahead because that's in verses four through eight, anybody that's messed with Israel eventually pays for it dearly. And right now, we're messing with Israel. So what's gonna happen tomorrow in Abbas's back pocket is this resolution that's gonna call for all the world that's involved with the UN to stop the building and the settlements But more importantly, they're also calling for the land that was taken by Israel during the Six-Day War, and they want to go back to those borders, which would include the Golan. Now, the Golan is where they just discovered this unbelievable reservoir of oil. Just across from Tiberias, and I had it up on the screen a couple weeks ago, an average good oil find is 30 meters deep. This is 300 and this top quality prime crude. And uh, Ezekiel 38 
says that there's a war a brewing, and part of the reason for this war is to come down and take a spoil. Well, again, I always say take the first two letters off, and one of the motives that's there. But the motives are deeper because of the hatred that Satan has for God's people, and we'll get into that a little bit. So what we see taking place, and you're, you're watching history take place right now, tomorrow, a resolution that the whole world now is going to uh, jump in bed with the occupiers, and they're going to be dealt with. And so we'll have to wait. We're just watching another piece of God's prophetic puzzle come together. And the Bible is always one step ahead. Amen? Always one step ahead. Tomorrow's news right here today. And uh, so it's always interesting because we know it's going to happen. It's just interesting watching the pieces fall into place one by one. Well, there's another one tomorrow. Verses 4 through 8. He says, do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, nor be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says the Lord. Verse 7 is important. For a mere moment, for a mere moment, I have forsaken you. But with great mercies, I will gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face for you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your God, your Redeemer. Now, when Curtis was here on Sunday, first of all, wasn't that awesome having him here? And we we, we went out and had breakfast, all 13 of us. When when you add up his family and and Judy and I, we were at 13. (laughs) We took up most of the restaurant. And um, it was interesting because we are friends. And uh, I support... Curtis had admire him greatly. And I don't think there was a person here who wasn't convicted in a good way, one, one way or another, right? What a great exhortation and, uh, that was given to us. And we should take it to heart. But one of the things that Curtis talked about that he tried to give us a biblical perspective on is this verse 7. For a moment, just for a moment, God is dealing with us. Just for a moment. And the analogy that he used, he says, imagine a timeline that's a trillion miles long. And then he says, take a piece of your hair and stick it in there somewhere. And that's your life. Here it says, um, it's just for a moment. That's how much time we have. When you look at the eternal perspective and eternity, God says, I'm going to deal with you, Israel. I'm going to deal with you, but it's only going to be for this little slice of time, but for all eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever, I'm going to show you my great mercies, why I created you, why I gathered you. And Curtis's exhortation to us is redeem the time and make use of the time. And it was, a, it was just a great, the Bible says, exhort one another daily while it is called today. And lest we would become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This book will keep your heart tender. And uh, seeking the Lord on a daily basis was one of the things that he really encouraged us to do. 
and we can't get sloppy and, and, and uh, stop doing that because it will take its toll. So with that, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4. In reality of this world, part of our prayer before we studied was um, Jesus' parable, building your house upon a rock. What I like about it is just because you're a Christian, you're not exempt. Matter of fact, these days, because you're a Christian, you're going to be even more labeled and more, more targeted than, than maybe, maybe others. But here's Paul's perspective on everything that he went through. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Even though life is hard, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me every single day. You have to die to yourself daily. And, uh, and so in verse 16, he says, therefore, don't lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, I can say amen to that, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. Are you kidding me? This is a guy that was in the, in, in the water for three days and three nights and was whipped five times and was in hunger often and cold and was rejected by the brethren and the list goes on and on. Wherever he went, he got beat up and put in a prison. And he calls that this light affliction, which is but for what? What does it say there? A moment. Guys, it's just, just a moment. Life can be tough, but this is as, for the, for the church, this is as bad as it ever going to get. And the Lord says in, in Isaiah, as far as my people go, I'm going to put you through some things, but it's only a moment, but forever, I'm going to be in your father, and you're going to see my mercy and my grace forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, Paul has the right perspective. So no matter what you're going through, it's nothing like Paul went through. Uh, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working a far more exceedingly internal weight of glory. See, there's the big picture. What God is working in you right now, we call it the sanctification process. So he's rubbing off the rough edges, so to speak. He's making you more like him, just as we walk the Christian walk. And um, you can't get around it. And then he says, while we, while we do not look at the things which are seen, we do that way too much, but at the things which are not seen, there's the eternal perspective. For the things which are seen, they're temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 54, and verse seven, he's talking to Israel that he's gonna deal with them. And um, his wrath, with a little wrath I have hid my face, but it's only for a moment. So no matter what you're going through or what kind of heavy day you had or what kind of bills need to be paid or um, whatever needs to be worked out in your life, know that it's temporary. Know that whatever it is, God said, I'm going to work it to good anyway. He works all things together for the good, right? Not just some, all things. He can't lie. So whatever it is you're going through, somehow he's going to twist it and turn it and make it work out better for you. He's God. He can't lie. And so here in these verses, I highlighted verse 7, and um, the Lord will deal um, I'm, I'm getting ahead. I want to deal with that with verse seven, 17. Okay, let's go now through verse 4 through 8. We've covered that. Um, 
Let's finish this up, and I'll come back. And I want to pick up on verse 17. For this is like the waters to Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. The point here is I made a promise to Noah. This will never happen again. And that's the first time there was a rainbow. But the point is God keeps his word. And then he said, um, because I've made this promise that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you, for the mountains shall depart and, and the hills be removed, but my kindness, it won't depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace, that's not going to be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. O oh, you afflicted ones, tossed with tempests and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colored gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies and your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stones. My, my mind flashes on to the new Jerusalem here. But really what we have when you read that, um, the, um, the precious walls are made of stones. And that's Revelation chapter uh, 21. Uh, and then all your children shall be taught by the Lord. So clearly now we're in to the millennial time. And great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be exalted, established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Instead, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. They're your enemies. Um, they won't, anything that comes against Israel will falter. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument of his work. And I have created the spoiler to destroy. But no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Russia's going to find that out the hard way. Because Ezekiel 39 verse 1 says five, six of them are going to be wiped out in the mountains of Israel. And uh, every tongue will rise against you in judgment. You shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. When you look at it, even in the past and in the present, God has been opposed to anti-Semitism. It's on the rise again, big time in Europe, especially in France. No enemy of the Lord, God of Israel, has ever prospered. And the witness to this truth is number one, Pharaoh. He tried to take the Jews out. and Instead, the Lord took him out. There was Haman, the book of Esther. What was his goal? He wants a decree. Every Jew has to be killed who ended up being hung on the gallows that he made for Mordecai. The Lord just turned the tables. A weapon was formed to hang Mordecai, and the Lord says, that weapon, I'm going to just turn it around. You're an enemy of the Jews, therefore you're the guy that's going to, going to hang on it. And then there was Herod. And Herod was the one who sought to destroy Jesus. Well, he's not in heaven right now, I'll tell you that. And then, of course, there was Hitler and the Mussolinis. And... Um, 
the occultic roots of, of, uh, of World War II and anti-Semitism and how he even deceived the church to get involved with it. I mean, the track that Martin Luther wrote um, is unbelievable, and it's nothing more than the blueprint for the annihilation of the Jews, and it was written by Martin Luther himself. And you can track that down on your own. These verses here are twofold. Um, What's unfolding right now is a plan, a plot to destroy Israel. And um, it's at tomorrow, it's going to be at the highest level, the UN, and they're going to try to get these resolutions to go through. When it all shakes out, no weapon ever formed is ever going to take out Israel. He says once, and it's, this is um, Isaiah eleven eleven, I think, that he says, when I gather you back again the second time, you're never leaving the land again. That's it. They were removed twice, once during the Babylonian captivity. And then Titus in 70 AD, they've been out of the land for, since 70 AD. But May 14th is right around the corner. It's only three weeks away. And that's the anniversary of when the Lord established Israel once again. And he says, when I established them that time, not, not, nothing can ever take them out of the land anymore. So we're watching that unfold right in front of us. So the eternal perspective in light of all this, Colossians 3.1 says, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, then set your eyes on things that are above and not here. Another good place for an amen. And it's hard to do, you know, because our eyes, most guys' eyes today, are wondering who our first-round draft pick is going to be for the Packers. Right? Come on, let's be honest. Who's it going to be? Will we trade up? And uh, who's going who's to be the new nose guard? And we think and think way too much about that. Boy, did I get convicted listening to Curtis when he started talking about sports on Sunday and the God that we made it into. Guilty as charged. Lord, help me there to keep that eternal perspective and really do what the scriptures say. In the song we sang tonight, this world is not our home. This is one little hair sliver in the trillion mile long line of all eternity. So it says, if you're risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ is. And let's face it, gang, we're human, and we need to be at the Wednesday night Bible study in church on Sunday morning at men's prayer, doing our devotions, and when we don't do that, what do we lose? We lose the eternal perspective, and we get our eyes caught up all over again on the things of the world which are temporal and they're passing away. So just logically, it makes more sense to invest in the things that are eternal rather than the things that are are temporal. One of the things that happened, uh, just just so you know that Curtis walks the walk, uh, after we came out of uh, a restaurant, um, we met a gentleman, and hopefully he's, he's here tonight, I don't know. But he was having a real tough time. And I, I noticed it, and um, I was walking them back to the bus, but Curtis wasn't coming. Uh, the guy sitting outside the restaurant, all of a sudden, when I realized he was there for 10 minutes and then 15, we weren't going anywhere soon. So I, I, got, I grabbed a God of Wonders, 
And Judy came and she had the non-negotiable gospel by Dave Hunt. And, you know, he's just pouring his, his heart out and begging this guy to come to Jesus. And um, we were there for another 20 minutes, gave him our name, gave him God of Wonders, gave him Seeking and Finding God. And, and uh, Curtis just saw the body language on this guy and um, wasn't going to let him go until he promised to read the material that was there and to give his life to Jesus while he, while he could. And um, I, I'm praying that he shows up. I invited him to Saturday morning men's prayer. And if you're here tonight, we're glad you're here. Okay, let's go to chapter 55. Chapter 55. What we have here now is an invitation to the world. And, um, and we actually have here the works of Jesus in chapter 53 makes possible the offer of salvation that we're going to see in this chapter. In chapter 54, the invitation was confirmed to Israel. In this chapter, the invitation is now going to be extended to the entire world. The gospel went first to Israel and then to the Gentiles. And with that being said, just turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll do a little sidetrack here. Verse 16 and 17. Romans 1 verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Notice, to the Jew first, and then also to the, to the Greeks. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just will live by faith. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given, and Peter got up, and explained what was taking place, every person that was there was there for the Feast of Pentecost. But they were all Jews. And 3,000 people, 3,000 Jews. Uh, When it says to the Jew first, um, the first Gentile to get saved was Cornelius, a a Roman centurion. Uh, But that, that wasn't until later on, I think in Acts chapter 10. My point is that the gospel is for the Jews first and then to us. Now, and let's, the Bible actually gives us instructions what our attitude should be towards the Jewish people. And I've said this a hundred times from, from this pulpit. I fell in love with the Jews immediately. Didn't know anything about anything except I love the Jewish people. Simple logic. Why? Jesus is a Jew. <laughs> it was that easy for me. If Jesus is a Jew, I love the Jews, period. Was that, my logic was that simple. Didn't have to be any more difficult than that. And it's just something that happens in your heart. And if I find out you're Jewish, you get it? Okay. I know that if I love on you a little bit more, I get a blessing for it later. I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. I take that literally. So if I find out you're a little Jewish, I love on you a little more, because I'm selfish. What can I say? And... With that being said, um, let's look at when, after, let's go to Romans 11, that's what I wanted to do. What should our attitude be? When it says that he's going to deal with Israel in his wrath, just for a moment, put him on the burner just for a little time. 
But then he's going to deal with them once again. But as Gentiles, Paul, in writing to the Romans in chapter 11, tells us what our perspective should be as Gentiles and what our attitude should be towards the nation of Israel. So let's pick it up in verse 11. The purpose of Israel's rejection is my subtitle. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Jews, to the, to the Gentiles. To provoke them to jealousy? You guys remember what it's like to be jealous about your high school sweetheart or something like that if somebody else is checking her out or whatever? And there's that natural jealousy that's there. Well, God wants Israel to be jealous when they see what we have. And I'm going to be playing a little clip on Sunday that's going to drive this, this, this very point home. And um, verse 12, now if their fall, and in other words, their, their rejection, their blindness, is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more than their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them, for if they being cast away is a reconciling of the world, then imagine what their acceptance will be but life from the dead. God in his wisdom had a plan that he would allow the blindness to be there only for a while until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in when the church age is done and that number is complete, then it says all Israel is going to be saved. For if the first fruit is holy, and that would be Israel, the lump is also holy. For if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, being a Gentile, was grafted in among them, Um, and became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, he says, don't boast. Better not be anti-Semitic if you're a Gentile. And if you're a Christian, don't think you got one up on on Israel because God's plan for Israel. Don't boast against the branches. But you boast, remember that you don't support the root. The root supports you. This book is about Israel, all the Old Testament. We have this sliver of time of some little less than 2,000 years where God is going to work in the Gentiles. He'll be a light to the Gentiles, and he has been. But he's, he's talking to us now on our attitude. Know your place. God has a special covenant with his people, and you're, you're just, you've just been grafted in. But the root supports you. Uh, you will say that, well, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty but fear. Again, your attitude check with all this. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness. And I like this word if here, if you continue. Now I personally believe in eternal security for myself because I have no intentions of living anything other than 
The only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And I know as long as I keep that until the day I die, I'm an overcomer, period. I'm going to heaven. I'm eternally secure. But if you think somewhere along the way you can get off and, and try something different and something new and, uh, and replace it, this is a big word here. It's a two-letter word, if. If you continue. In his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. What's the unforgivable sin? That's knowing the truth and having been convicted by the Holy Spirit when you hear the gospel, the only way you can commit the unforgivable sin is after hearing the truth, you don't accept it. Why? Because there's no other name. There's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, are you sure being narrow-minded? No, I'm not. I'm just reading the Bible for what it says. It's very, very clear on this point. Good place for an amen. There's no other way. And so we can't compromise. We can't get involved with the, the social gospel organizations that are out there that are letting go of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and replacing it with good works in a social gospel. Francis Chan comes to mind. And leaders, leaders of this whole social gospel movement that has no gospel message in it. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And that's exactly what he's going to do. For if, if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more will these who are of their natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And it's, they're just coming back, and they're what, what I like to call a completed Jew. And, um, and Paul was one of them. Paul said something that I, I, I really can't say and that he, he would give his life if the Jewish people could just be saved, that he would go to hell in their place. All right, I, verse 25 and 26 we're very familiar with, but let's go back uh, to keep this in context here to our text back in Isaiah, chapter 55 and... Um, that verse took us to um, Romans 11. So in the first, these first seven verses here of 55, Ho, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. Here the invitation now is open. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. And yes, come buy wine and milk with, without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your heart and come to me. Hear and your soul will live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, as a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. New Testament today, if you hear his voice, if you're a non-believer, 
If you're watching live stream tonight or you're visiting and you've never given your life to the Lord, well, don't harden your heart in the day when he's giving that invitation. Isaiah 55 is a chapter that expands past just the Jewish world, but the invitation is anyone who is thirsty, let him come. Jesus actually cried that out on the last day of the, the Feast of Sakoth. On uh, the great day, he said, um, anybody who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will gush out of you. And um, he also says in John 6, all that the Father gives me shall come to me and let him come to me and I will in no wise cast him out. You can sit on the sidelines and you can argue that uh, you're not one of the elect, but the minute you come to the Lord, then you are a member of the elect and the coming is up to you. It's a, it's a choice. He throws it out there. He won't twist your arm. He's, the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. But the ball's in your court. Ball's in my court once I've heard the gospel. And there's no wiggle room. Well, you know, someday I'm going to do that. But there's some things I want to do right now. Know that you're saying no. And by the way, you have no guarantees about tomorrow. Another good place for an amen. You have no guarantee that you're going to be here tomorrow. And so you want to make sure <laughs> that you've, you've made that simple, I'm thirsty, Lord, and you're the only one that can satisfy. And he says, anybody that has an open heart, I, Jesus said, John 6, verse 37, I, I will in no wise cast that person out. All right, verse 8 and 9, I'm going to take them on their own. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts more than your thoughts. And I began to think about God of wonders, and um, allow me to get sidetracked with a little story. Um, We were, uh, when Judy and I were down in Arizona, I liked to go hiking every day at uh, Lost Dutchman State Park, she doesn't like the trail because it's a little bit too steep, so she likes to ride a bike around the park. And I said, honey, we've got to do something one day together. Let's, let's, uh, let's go to the Botanical Gardens and down in Scottsdale. And she says, deal, let's do it. So we, um, uh, one day a month, usually it's 25 bucks to get in, but one day and a second Tuesday of every month is free. Guess which day we ended up there? <laughs> On the free day. <laughs> so I'm liking it already. And um, uh, it is um, it's unbelievable. They got a special park just for hummingbirds, okay? Every cactus that flowers and the beauty of the, the desert is just there. They have, like I said, hummingbirds, but then they have a, a special exhibit, just a little place just for butterflies, and so we're seeing all these butterflies, and then you go to these different places. And when we got to the butterfly place, there was actually a man giving a lecture on what happens from the birth of a caterpillar until it turns into a butterfly. And he, he has 
the uh, caterpillar there, and there's a couple that he's talking to. So I'm just standing on his side, taking it in and listening. And uh, he says, well, they start out with the, like a butterfly, and then they go through this, this process. And I said, metamorphosis. And he looked at me like, who are you, and how did you know that? <laughs> and uh, I like the analogy because it's so perfect for what happens to us when we're born again. So he says, that's right. That's the word that's used. They go through a metamorphosis over about a six-week period of time. You have a creature that does nothing but eat and then spins this chrysalis. And after about six weeks, it just simply pops out into a completely different life form that now flies instead of being earthbound and is unbelievably beautiful. And the only thing they do is fly and reproduce. Now that's a living, that's great. And then I'm waiting for him, and I said, I'm waiting for him to, uh, as he's talking about the wonder of all this, I'm looking for an open door to get my two cents in here. And I, and I said, are you gonna tell these guys about what the monarch butterflies do in the wintertime? He says, what do you mean? I says, well, you know what I mean. They all, they all end up, no matter where they are in North America, they all end up on this mountain that's called, you can put it up on the screen, guys. The butterflies migrate to this Sierra Madre mountains outside of uh, uh, Mexico City. So here was my question that I, want, that I asked the guy. He says, yeah, how did, you, how did you know that? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. And my question was, how does a butterfly in New York State, and a butterfly from Washington State, two different parts of the country, how do they know all to end up in one mountain, and here's a picture where they actually go to, and they all decide that they're gonna vacation on the same mountain in Wisconsin. How do they know how to do that? And he just kinda looked deer lights at me, and not the genes, and I go, come on. (laughs) We both know that. There's no way. I mean, I said the mathematical probability of them just happening to want to get together and have this great big party on this mountain, and this is where they, they come, and uh, that's where they spend their winters. Nice place to spend the winters, don't you think? It looks like they're having a party to me. But when it says his ways are past finding out, you know, how do they know? And we're talking thousands of miles. I, I had the girls do a little research. And they make 130 miles a day. But they all decide to end up there. And they, they all winter there. And that's just one little example of his ways and how great his ways are past finding out. Well, this guy didn't have a clue. And he's supposed to be an expert on, on, on butterflies. But he says, well, it's just in their genes. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. No, there's a, there, there is a creator who, who puts this migration built-in system into birds, into monarch butterflies. And the more you look at creation, you have to stand in awe and say, like David, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Good time for an amen. Think about the human body, the eye, any part of your anatomy. And um, um, who was it was just up here said he was looking at somebody's ear and he decided he couldn't be an atheist anymore. Just that, Perfection. Did Curtis say that on Sunday? Yeah. And um, you think about it just for a minute. 
And Romans 1 says, you are without excuse. I am without excuse. Why? Because of creation. Because of the wonder of it. And um, so my wife was in heaven because she loves all these plants, and especially hummingbirds. And we probably saw 50 to 100 hummingbirds in this place that day. And they're, they're a marvel and a wonder just all on their own. So his ways are past finding out. That's, that is an understatement. And his ways are higher than ours. Verses 10 through the rest of this chapter. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. And there's a scripture. When you sow the word of God, um, it won't return empty. It, it could haunt a person for years by quoting them John 3.16. It's just getting them uh, standing on the word. It will not return void. But it will accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it forth. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Okay, what did you just learn? Where we get the song from. <laughs> we sing this all the time on Sunday morning when we go out. Go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth singing. You're right, somebody said you better not quit your day job right now. I know. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. And that's the verse that we, that we sing. Uh, instead of the thorns that shall come up, the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it will be the, to the Lord for a name as an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The word of God is like rain. And God's revelation which comes down from heaven is like rain. The rain causes the earth to become fruitful. Uh, the word of God is also seed. He told the parable about it. The parable of the sower and the seed. And he said the seed is the word of God. And it can fall in different time, kinds of hearts. Hard hearts, soft hearts, hearts that receive it, hearts that reject it. And thus we have the parable of the sower of the seed. And um, the rest of uh, this here, verse um, 5513, is clearly during this time here, it looks forward to the millennium when the earth will be redeemed from the curse. No more thorns, no more thistles. The curse of sin is expressed by the thorns. When, when Adam sinned, he said, Adam, now you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. When you work the ground, it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. The Lord never intended it to be. But that will be removed with trees, thorns with cypress, briars with the myrtle tree. Chapter 56 Chapter 56, the emphasis in this chapter is really more on ethics and not events. The emphasis is more on practice and not prophecy. All of this should influence our living today. We're told in the New Testament, just don't be hearers of the word, but doers. In other words, what you hear, actually apply it. The study of prophecy, Prophecy is not to entertain the curious or to intrigue the intellect, but to encourage holy living. 
Remember that the apostle John wrote, and every man that has this hope, what hope? The hope of the rapture. If we have this hope, uh, there's this purifying effect that comes. Why? Because the Lord could come before the study is over. And uh, if we really have that hope, there's this purifying effect that just naturally comes. If we're aware that, hey, the Lord could come at at any time. Uh, And it's the study of prophecy that really is a purifying hope. But this chapter is primarily, especially the first eight verses, um, it's dealing with what's going to be taking place in the millennium um, with the Sabbath. But let's just read the first eight verses, and I'll come back and explain what I just said. Now, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this. In other words, again, not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer. And the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hands from doing evil. Do not let the sons of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and holds fast my covenants, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. We're told in Revelation that you're going to have a new name someday. My name isn't always going to be Dwight. I don't know what it's going to be. It says you're going to have a new name. Better, uh, better than that of the sons of daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servant. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. Now this is the fourth time we've read we're supposed to keep the Sabbath. But I'll come back again and comment on that. And hold fast my covenants. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yet I will gather to him Others besides those who are gathered to him, that would be you and I. We are talking literally here about the millennium. And what it's telling us here, first of all, let me uh, address something of those that take this scripture here and apply it to the, the church age we're living in right now. And the scripture clearly teaches that during the church age where you and I are living right now, Colossians Two, it says, therefore let no man judge you in your meat or in your drink or in respect to a holy day or to a new moon or the Sabbath day. So you're not under this law right now, but believe me, there are Christians that believe because of these verses that they're to keep this now. And But Colossians clearly tells us that's not the case. However, In these verses here, one through eight, is talking about the millennial reign where there's righteousness 
And the, the Sabbath will be evidently reinstituted during this time, during the, during the kingdom age. So verses 1 through 8 are, are dealing with, again, future events. In this case, talking sp- specifically, I, I underline, I think, four or five times here, primarily the Sabbath. The you and I right now are not under the Sabbath, I think it's great that we should have a day off. I think it's wise to reboot, to have, have some downtime. Um, but we're not under the, the Levitical law because if you've got to keep one, what does he say? Then you have to keep all of them. If you're going to do one, then you've got to keep them all. And you've got to keep them all perfectly. We have a change in verses 9 through the end of this chapter. And it's, I would title this the present day problems that we're dealing with today. So now we're going back to until then. This is what we gotta put up with. All your beasts of the fields come to devour. That doesn't happen during the millennium because the lion lays down with the lamb. Amen here? But all of a sudden we're not in the millennium anymore because the beasts come to the field to devour. All your beasts in the forest is blind. Watchmen are blind, they're ignorant, they're dumb dogs. I wish the Lord would really tell us what he thought. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs, which have uh, never have enough. And they're shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone is for his own gain, from his own territory. One says, come, I will bring wine, and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundantly. And so missing, missing out, and as we close up these chapters tonight, I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, because the same thought Peter addresses in the last days. And this is pertinent and relevant for what's happening right now in our world. And so picking it up in chapter Three, we will read verses one through seven. Peter's admonition to mockers in the last day. I talked to Charlie Flores, uh, pastor of uh, El Paso in Texas, and he, he called, I called him, he wanted to talk about his topics. He'll be one of the speakers at our pastor's conference. And we were talking, I said, well, what do you want, Charlie? What do you want to speak on? He said, I want to speak about scoffers in the last days. I said, you got it, go for it. So this will be one of his sessions. He says, behold, I now write to you this second epistle in both which I want to stir up your pure minds by the way to remind you that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us apostles and the Lord and Savior. And one of the prophets is Isaiah. And it's the last part of Isaiah chapter 56 that we have in mind in the last days, what it's gonna be like. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. Well, that's what we just read in Isaiah 56, pointing to the end times. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
Oh, lazy dog laying around. Uh, everything's the same. Nothing's any different. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Isaiah says in the last days there's gonna be an indifference. No fear that God would ever judge. They're just lazy dogs laying around getting, living just for themselves. Like it says, like sheep that, that have gone astray. So I think it's a good place to wind things up. We've made it through 54, 55, and 56. And uh, these chapters primarily, again, back and forth. Um, I guess I'll leave you with the thought that tomorrow is April 21st. And the Palestinian president is going to be making some presentations to the United Nations. And um, you're just reading a book that's telling you things that are going to happen before they happen. Amen? Let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Isaiah, Lord. We do stand in awe, Lord, and we have to admit the closer we get to you, the more we realize, as Paul said, that we consider ourselves the chiefest of sinners. When we see the wonder of your creation, we see all the signs around us. And um, Lord, we just pray again this evening that as we read, your word does not return void and it will accomplish what you want it to. So Lord, as we make our way through the book of Isaiah, again, I pray that your word does not return void, that it would encourage us, exhort us, correct us, comfort us, all of the above. Lord, be Lord, and we love you and we thank you for this book. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.